Here's a few quick notes about the show. Southern Girl Crime Stories is a podcast focused mostly on lesser-known true crime cases, consisting of cold cases, soft cases, identified Jane and John Doe's, along with missing persons and murder victims. You can follow the show on social media, on Instagram at Southern Girl Crime Stories, on Twitter at SG Crime Stories, or search Facebook for Southern Girl Crime Stories. If you're interested in getting some merch, visit my YouTube channel, or you can donate directly via Venmo or PayPal following the links in the description. You can submit case suggestions to southerngirlcrimestories at gmail.com or DM me on social media. Please be sure to check out my YouTube channel for these stories along with photos of victims, suspects, locations of murders, and more. Peggy Irene Chappelle was born on January 24, 1987, to her father, John Chappelle, and her so-called mother, Katie Chappelle. She was dearly loved by her teachers and classmates, and was often described as the sweet, beautiful, blonde hair and blue-eyed little girl. At age six, little Peggy lived in Norwood, Alabama, a neighborhood in Birmingham in the Norwood Gardens Apartments, On Thanksgiving Day of 1993, Peggy was seen getting into an SUV similar to a Chevy Blazer with an unknown man. Witnesses saw the man kiss Peggy on the cheek and saw her mother speaking to the man outside before they left. This would be the last time Peggy was ever seen alive. The next day, some boys came upon a horrific scene. While searching inside a dilapidated shed behind an abandoned house for old lumber to build something, they came upon a small, nude body wrapped in a beach towel and stuffed in three green garbage bags. Her body was dumped only a block from Peggy's family's apartment. There were bruises on her arms, legs, and buttocks, and her clothes were folded neatly beside her in the garbage bag. Her hands were bound, and investigators said that Peggy had blunt force trauma to the head and a fatal cut to the neck. There are conflicting reports regarding if her atrocious murder was sexually motivated or not, but police did find a pornographic magazine in the garbage bag with her. A shocking and disturbing part of this story is that Peggy's mother, Katie, admits that she knows the man who took Peggy and why he took her, but refused to identify him to the authorities. She says he always brought Peggy back safe in the past. This admission has led to speculation that she was possibly sex trafficking her daughter. The FBI interviewed Katie at least twice and was unsuccessful in retrieving any information from her. Katie passed one polygraph test, but stumbled on the following three after investigators found more information and made the questions more specific. She also said she knew the tag number, but that it wouldn't benefit her to tell anybody. Circuit Judge James Garrett planned to sentence her to 10 years in prison for hindering prosecution. Still, He agreed to give her no time in prison with five years of probation if she would provide information on who killed her daughter and fully cooperate with the police. However, she refused and pleaded guilty to hindering prosecution, so the judge revoked her probation and sent her to prison for three years. It is speculated that she was either afraid of the unidentified man or wanted to protect herself from more charges and a longer sentence. 
She likely didn't want the specifics to be known of exactly how she was involved in her daughter's death by allowing this man to have her whenever he wanted. It's also possible that the man was a relative and she tried to keep him out of prison, or she may have killed Peggy herself since she was found very close to the apartment. Investigators later consulted with FBI profilers who narrowed the suspects to a short list and said the killer was someone close to the family. In addition, they found it significant that Peggy's clothes were neatly folded inside the garbage bag and that her body was dumped close to her home. Peggy's father died in 2016 and was still married to Peggy's mother, who remains in Alabama. Katie will likely never tell the investigators what she knows, and as of August of 2022, this case remains unsolved. Lisa Marie Altamari Wallace was born September 25, 1977, to Barbara Covey. She would go on to marry Christopher Wallace, and the couple initially lived near Gulf Shores, Alabama. Then, Lisa was diagnosed with a brain tumor and underwent brain surgery. They would then move to Eufaula, Alabama to be closer to the University of Alabama Birmingham Medical Center, where she was scheduled to have another brain surgery. Before she moved, she gave her best friend, Libby Caldwell, a letter saying that if anything were to happen to her, call the police to look at her husband, Chris, first. The couple had a daughter in 2011, and Lisa was ecstatic and dearly loved her little girl. In 2012, the couple was living in the vicinity of West Chihuahua Creek Drive, just past the old KOA campground in Eufaula. Lisa was a victim of domestic violence and was terrified of her husband and wanted a divorce. On October 27, 2012, just days after filing for divorce, Lisa disappeared and her mother would report her missing several days later. When Chris was interviewed, he claimed that he took their almost two-year-old daughter to his mother's house after a heated argument regarding custody. He claims that while he was gone, Lisa disappeared. She also didn't show up for work at her 11 a.m. shift at the River City Grill. At the time, a couple living nearby thought they saw Lisa walking down the road, leaving her house past the campground at around noon. Still, they were reluctant to get involved as they were worried that her disappearance was drug-related as the area had heavy drug activity at the time. This story also fits the last place where search dogs picked up her scent two weeks after she went missing and is in front of the old KOA campground. The scent stops at a small turnaround spot, which means someone at the spot could have picked her up, unless, however, the dogs picked up her scent from her walking on a different day. A few days after her disappearance, the man she worked for, Bill Burr, claimed he received a text message from her phone asking for a large amount of money, to which he allegedly didn't reply. Multiple co-workers believe this was related to a significant drug transaction in which Lisa and her manager, Gary McLeod, were allegedly involved. Numerous witnesses saw and read the text, as well as two Eufaula police officers who reportedly showed no interest. A strange series of events took place the day she went missing. Gary McLeod, the manager of the River City Grill, reported that he drove over to pick Lisa up for work. 
However, Chris and a tow truck driver were outside attempting to get his truck unstuck and neither saw Gary drive by on the small single lane dirt road. Another strange clue is that a voice call was made to Lisa's phone shortly after 11 a.m. when she was scheduled to be at work from the landline at the River City Grill. The voice call lasted just over six minutes. Later, when detectives interviewed everyone working at the restaurant that day, no one would admit to calling Lisa. The Eufaula Police Department did not subpoena the data for Lisa's phone on time. If they had, they would have been able to get an approximate location from the cell tower her phone registered on when she received the six-minute voice call. On the day of her disappearance, Chris claimed he was outside between 8 a.m. and 11.30 a.m., part of which was witnessed by a tow truck driver who was helping with Chris's truck after he got it stuck while driving home very intoxicated the night before. He either left their baby inside for three and a half hours alone, or Lisa was there at the time, as he claimed. Chris stated he left at about 12.15 p.m. to take their daughter to his mother's house. He said when he left, Lisa had already packed bags to leave after their fight, and when he returned, she was gone. However, Lisa's hygiene items were left behind. Her manager, Gary McLeod, and restaurant owner, Bill Burr, have since left town. Public records show that those operating the business where Lisa worked were trafficking narcotics and cocaine out of the restaurant. But the previous owner, Bill Burr, said he had no knowledge of this. After Gary McLeod left Eufaula, he moved to Utah. The FBI has questioned him, but he denies involvement in Lisa's disappearance. It is widely rumored that at the time of Lisa's disappearance, there were almost daily drug deals in large quantities being done by certain employees at the restaurant. Lisa's loved ones are adamant that she met with foul play at the hands of her husband. Her social security number or credit cards have not been used, and there's been no hospital or medical visits, no driver's license, prescriptions, or any use of any identifying information. It is rumored that those in charge of the investigation frequently chose not to follow up on leads, brushed off Lisa's disappearance, discarded significant evidence, and failed to collect necessary evidence. They also suggest she left the town of her own accord. The January following her disappearance, private investigator and self-proclaimed psychic crime fighter Scott Moss began searching for evidence following a tip. With local law enforcement's knowledge and permission, he found evidence likely related to Lisa's murder two days in a row. He discovered carpet, a mattress, and a bedsheet that appeared to be blood-stained, possibly with Lisa's blood, off Highway 95 on County Road 214 in the woods near a fire tower. He notified Officer Brown, who told him to bring it in. He placed the bedsheet in a paper evidence bag, sealed it, labeled it, turned it into the Eufaula Police Department, and filled out all required forms regarding the chain of evidence. The police then allegedly destroyed it without testing it for Lisa's DNA. The day before stumbling upon the mattress and bedsheet, Mr. Moss also located a knife and cell phone in the same area. The evidence being destroyed led to the request of a highly trained cadaver dog named Quincy to be flown in from Maine. 
Quincy and another cadaver dog alerted to human decomposition having been in the same location that the bloody mattress and sheet were discovered. Interestingly, during Scott Moss's search, he coincidentally located a homicide victim from Cleo, Alabama, Willie David Pugh, wrapped in a blanket secured with duct tape behind a church. Willie Dickerson was charged with his murder, and the evidence from the crime scene was allegedly located in his home. It is also reported that some Barber County Sheriff's deputies hid details and evidence regarding his murder during the trial. They allegedly requested Mr. Moss to keep several details he had witnessed to himself. Documents have since been leaked proving these claims by Mr. Moss to be true. Not only has Mr. Moss located the remains of Willie Pugh and alleged evidence in Lisa's case, but he also located Poli Perez in Henry County, Alabama, and told authorities the location of Mia Brown near Geneva, Alabama. At the time of Lisa's disappearance, Chris had a long criminal rap sheet and was known to be violent and a heavy drinker. After Lisa's disappearance, he continued his string of crimes. In February 2019, Chris attempted to rob drugs from a pharmacy. When Officer Justin Sanders tried to make a traffic stop of the suspect's Jeep near the Dollar General on Opelika Road, Chris exited the passenger side and began opening fire on the Auburn police officer, critically injuring him. He and the female driver fled to his relative's apartment on Stonegate Drive in Lee County and locked themselves inside. Chris then shot his 36-year-old accomplice, Erica Miller, who had been driving the Jeep. He turned the gun on himself before a fire engulfed the apartment complex. Thankfully, Officer Sanders made a miraculous recovery. However, Chris took with him any information about Lisa's whereabouts. Finally, years later, law enforcement agrees that she likely went missing due to foul play, and several officers have shown genuine dedication to recovering answers in Lisa's case. Their daughter went to live with Chris's parents following his death. Unfortunately, she now has to continue life without either parent. As of August 2022, Lisa has never been found, and this case remains unsolved. LaKira DeJour Goldsmith was born on July 24, 1998, to Marcel Gold. She was described as outgoing and always wanted to be there for others. She goes by the nickname Pig and Facebook Queen because of her frequent postings on Facebook. At the age of 20, she was the mother of a two-year-old son named Armani, and they lived in the 4500 block of Narrow Lane Road in Montgomery, Alabama. On November 27, 2018, her boyfriend picked her up from her home and then dropped her back off later. Her grandmother saw her exit the car, but she never arrived inside and hasn't been seen since. The maintenance man at the apartment complex later stated that he let her use his phone at 2 a.m. after she was dropped off. He claimed that he left her talking on his phone outside, and when he came back, she was gone, and his phone was sitting on the steps. This maintenance man allegedly has a criminal history and has since moved back to Memphis, Tennessee, following LaKira's disappearance with his mother, who was the apartment manager at the time. Lakira's hair was blonde when she went missing, and she has severe asthma. 
Her siblings dearly miss her, and her little sister often writes poems and songs about her sister. However, her mother, Shell, remains frustrated, stating that law enforcement didn't take her disappearance seriously. In turn, they missed the opportunity to view video footage outside the apartment complex where she allegedly went missing because it is only available for 30 days. In addition, Lakira went unlisted in the Alabama Law Enforcement Agency's database until almost a year after she vanished. Her mother appeared on The Mari Povic Show and spent a lot of time with a psychic named Jeffrey Wines in hopes of finding her daughter. A woman known as T or Tika, who runs the YouTube channel Undisputed Truth, has also worked on providing answers to Lakira's loved ones by looking to the ancestors' oracle cards. Lakira's mother continues to show little Armani pictures of his mother to keep her in his mind. Lakira is only one of many missing women from Montgomery, Alabama, and many fear that sex trafficking was involved in their abductions. As of August 2022, Lakira has never been found, and this case remains unsolved. Rakeem Samuel was born on May 4, 1996, to Mother Erica Davis and later graduated from G.W. Carver High School in Alabama. His loved ones described him as a mama's boy who was happy and loved his family. He helped care for his younger brothers and his sister's children as well. At the age of 19, Rakeem lived with his mother in Montgomery, Alabama, and was employed at Glovis America Yard, a company that ships Hyundai vehicles to dealerships. On April 2, 2016, Erica made her son breakfast before she left for a friend's wedding. Rakeem had plans to hang out with friends and do some shopping that day. He caught a ride from a female co-worker since his car was in the shop. About 1.30 p.m., she dropped him off at the Walmart on Eastern Boulevard in Montgomery and then saw him get into a black Nissan Versa with tinted windows. Witnesses later saw him on Chase Street off Mount Meigs Road with two co-workers before he went missing. His mother knew something was wrong when her son didn't come home and wasn't answering any calls. She reported him missing and an investigation began into his whereabouts. Rakeem had worked nights at Glovis America Yard for nine months and was responsible for parking vehicles after they came off the production line. A few days after he disappeared, another of his co-workers also went missing. She was last seen in the area of her residence at Eastdale Apartments, located in the 200 block of Eastdale Road. Her name was Nanette Yvette Thomas, and she was Rakeem's teen leader and had even assisted in the search for him. She was described as a sweet lady who spoke very highly of Rakeem. A spokesperson for Hyundai and Glovis stated that Nanette was a hard worker, was never late, and never missed a day of work. So it was very suspicious when she was a no-show and calls to her phone went straight to voicemail, prompting them to notify her son. Investigators found no signs of a struggle inside her apartment, and her car was located days later on South Eastdale Road. Her closest relatives in her life were her two sons, Ray and Arkeem, and her niece, Patrice. 
Tragically, Rakim's remains were discovered on June 30, 2016, three months later, in a wooded area on South Hopper Street in Montgomery. However, his cause of death is either unknown or has not been released to the public. Investigators have stated they believe Rakim knew his killers and speculate that the two men he was with that afternoon know exactly what happened to him. Although it appears the two cases could be related, no motive has been determined or at least not released to the public. There has also been little coverage of Nanette's disappearance and Rakim's unsolved homicide. And as of August of 2022, both these cases remain unsolved. It's just like a big old empty place in your heart, somebody. Just took it away from you. And there's nothing that could fill it. Shanna Janelle Peoples, who sometimes goes by the name Shanna McKee, was born on November 22, 1991. Shanna had special needs and was described as vulnerable with a shy nature, sweet and compassionate. Her parents, Elvis and Wendy McKee, said she enjoyed going to the movies and bike riding, which was her usual means of transportation. In 2011, at 19, Shanna lived at 504 West Campbell Street in the small town of Geneva, Alabama. She was living with her much older boyfriend, 50-year-old Wendell Hudspeth. She had a daily routine of walking the two blocks from her home she shared with her boyfriend to her parents' home at 405 North Morris Street or the nearby store for snacks. According to the FBI, Shanna has the maturity of a 13-year-old and was taking daily medication for severe bipolar disorder. She does not talk much and exhibits a slight speech impediment. She also does not read well, and her parents stated that she could not recall her phone number or address at times. On September 8, 2011, at about 3 p.m., she was last seen by her boyfriend, Wendell. He said she was walking between her parents' home and his house on North Morris Street. One of her neighbors reported that people would often stop in their vehicles to talk to Shanna, and her loved ones speculate that someone possibly gained her trust and she possibly got into a car with them. Nearly a dozen teams searched the area using canines, ATVs, and helicopters, but were unable to find her. She was very routine in many ways, and always left the front door locked and the TV off when she would leave. However, on this day, she left her front door wide open and the TV running. She also never turned her phone off, but strangely, it was turned off about one hour after she told her parents she was heading to their house. She also left her bicycle behind, which she often used to get to their house. Shanna was close to her parents, and they don't believe she would have run away without warning. Her family thinks someone she knew took advantage of her. When she went missing, Shanna was 6 feet tall and 120 pounds, very tall and slim. Her family soon became frustrated at the apparent lack of media coverage regarding Shanna's disappearance. Rumors have circulated that she is now living with a much older man in the same town she went missing from or possibly in another southern state and is under his influence. However, I haven't been able to find out whether this man and her boyfriend are the same person. Sadly, her father passed away in February of 2022. 
However, her mother, two brothers, and sister have not given up on finding Shanna, but as of August of 2022, she has not been located and this case remains unsolved. Thanks for joining me today on Southern Girl Crime Stories. Please be sure to check out my YouTube channel for these stories, along with photos of victims, suspects, location of murders, and more. As always, your support is very much appreciated, and I look forward to seeing y'all next time.